All right, all right, all right. Guess who is not back in the building? It is definitely not Texas. Thank goodness that crap's over. Moving on to the real UT and welcoming you in to the Full Tilt Devi podcast on the Full Tilt Fantasy Podcast Network. You will notice there's only two of us today as Mr. John Arrington was not feeling well. We will see him uh, during the next show, but tonight it's just you and me, Andy, which means we get to make fun of Florida. We get to make fun of or uh, John's takes on Lamar Jackson. Uh, get, get to make fun of Beth a little bit, but we might not be that mean <laughs> to him. But we really get to just lay it all out there and have a good show. So hope everybody's excited to join us, even though we don't have uh, Mr. John Arrington. But Andy, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, and I feel like we got to leave Beth out of this. I mean, she didn't do anything to us, so no no hard feelings towards Beth. But I am going to sneak in a couple Luther Burden takes, so oh. I, fe- I feel like it's a safe space to do this now that John's not here. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you go, but I'll keep you within reason, okay? I don't want to hear that he's now the number one wide receiver in the class or anything like that, or the number one Debbie asset. That's just crazy. Uh, even non super flex, I we're not going to get that wild, but still going to be a really, really good show. And thankfully, college football is blessing us with a just stupid amount of stuff to talk about. Uh, coaches are being dumb, players are being awesome, and there's some really weird celebrations that are going on right now that may not be justified whenever you barely be Arizona State, but that's okay, we'll go through it. Uh, Talk about this, talk about some midseason award picks, uh, not only for the actual awards that are handed out at the end of the year, but some of our favorites as well. So, Andy, what do you want to start with from the midpoint in the college football season? Well, I think we got to kick the show off just with what happened last week with Mario Cristobal in Miami. Uh one of the biggest blunders I've ever seen in college football, if I'm being honest. But, um, you know, a lot of people I've been hearing, you know, is this a fireable offense? So, I mean, we've all seen the play. There was 35 seconds on the clock. Georgia Tech didn't have a timeout. All they had to do was take a knee. They win the game. They run the ball. They fumble. Georgia Tech goes 75 yards, scores a touchdown, wins the game. So, for me, it's tough to say, like, if if you should fire Mario Cristobal for something like this, because Miami probably is not even in a position to make the playoff without Cristobal. Uh, a top-notch recruiter, he had the seventh-best recruiting class in 2023. As it stands right now, he's got the 11th-best class in 2024. Uh, but, yeah, this is not a good look. I mean, every damn person who watches football knows you take a knee when you can run out the clock. Um I, th- I think the most pathetic part about all of it was the post-game interviews when he kind of, kind of tried to pass the buck onto the players. Like, oh, well, you know, Van Dyke was calling the plays or I don't know what he was saying. But, you know, he has a timeout. He could have stopped the clock and, you know, got his guys together and say, hey, guys, we just need to take a knee here. Chose not to use it. And then, like I said, probably the most embarrassing loss of the decade, maybe more. Um so overall, yeah, it's a, a massive blemish on his coaching record. Um, Miami's still sitting there with all this NIL money. I think he probably has one more strike. Um, and if he does another stupid thing again in terms of game management that costs him a win, he's absolutely done. 
but right now, just based on what he's done recruiting and bringing this team back to somewhat relevance, I think you got to, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt. And to be honest, like, you know, yes, it costed them a spot in the playoff. They were undefeated before this loss, but I think the fact that Georgia Tech was even in that game in the fourth quarter tells you enough that Miami probably wasn't going to run the table the rest of the way anyhow. So I'm not sure it was, you know, costing them millions of dollars or anything like that, but certainly was very dumb. <laughs> it's it's something that whenever you're Mario Cristobal and you've been around for this long in the league, you've been a head coach at elite jobs. You can't do things like this, but it's not the first time that he's done it. He did it while he was at Oregon uh, against Stanford. And there's there's really not much more to say about other than you learn from it and you move on. I understand that there's very much an old school approach that you're supposed to play every single down and take a knee at the end of the game is, you know, whatever, but they didn't, they didn't need a first down. They had no incentive to be trying to gain yards here. It's a survive and move on sort of mentality whenever you have an upset-minded team like Georgia Tech was this weekend. And like you're saying, it pretty much takes them out of college football playoff contention at this point. I mean, they, uh uh-oh, we have lost Andy, but we will figure it out. But I will continue on, uh, even though Andy is not here now. Uh, But whenever you have something like this and you can continue to run the table, I mean, theoretically they can go 11 to one at the end of the season and be fine. But I don't know if this sort of loss will up or hurt them wherever, you know, you're comparing them with other teams and Andy is back. I was just finishing up. You're you're not going to believe this, but my cat, I have a touch screen. She's, she snuck up and touched the X on the window. <laughs> Just, oh. I was like, are you kidding me? Goodness. Unbelievable. So if you were watching this show and you did not watch the flagship program last night, the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast, uh, if you watch about 20 minutes in, you will see where one of my cats walks across and knocks over my camera. Uh, I am definitely not the star of that show anyway, so it really doesn't matter too much at, at that point. But yeah, you gotta love cats. Uh, isn't Terrible. isn't Andy a dog person? I, I did just we did just sorry adopt oh a dog. Gosh, I said Andy whenever I met John. I apologize, oh. Andy. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Isn't but, John a dog person? I think he is, but he does have a cat. But. Since you mentioned dog, we did just adopt a dog a few weeks ago. Oh, that's a couple awesome. months ago from the uh, it's a shelter, it's a rescue. What is Please. your dog's name? Her name is Libby, that's the name she she came with. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Um, I don't think there's anything else we can say about Mario Cristobal. I don't think he's going to be fired. I know last season was really rough going five and seven. Uh, this season, he looks a lot better. They already have a good win against Texas A&M. They have a lot more chances to get solid wins in the ACC. So at the end of the day, it's just going to be one of those losses where it's going to suck until they come out and clobber Georgia Tech next season. Uh, moving on, though, uh, some other interesting things going on. Travis Hunter for Colorado should be back this week, tomorrow night. Uh, he should be playing 
And I really like what you have on here about Travis Hunter saying, is he a legitimate Devi asset? Thoughts? So, yeah, I mean, he had the ridiculous game in week one uh, against TCU, that massive upset that we all saw kind of put Coach Prime on the map in, you know, the, the FC, FBS world anyway, um, you know, made it everyone sort of take him seriously and take this Colorado team seriously. Uh, big game for Hunter, 11 catches, 119 yards, kind of cooled off week two against Nebraska, only three catches despite running more routes in that game than he did in week one. And then kind of more mediocrity before the injury in week three as well. He, he had just 21 yards and 16 routes. Now who knows what would have happened the rest of that game. He probably, you know, he could have easily turned on. We don't know. Um, I just think he's such a great athlete with a really high football IQ that he can pass as an above average and sometimes great college wide receiver. For me, I think he's going to be a defensive back in the NFL, so I would hold off on adding any Travis Hunter in Debbie leagues unless you're in some sort of IDP Debbie league. Uh, I'm certainly no expert on grading defensive backs. I'd, I'd say I'm the opposite, really, but it seems like guys who do do this for a living like his chances as a defensive back more so than that as a wide receiver. So that's where I kind of stand with it. I know people were really hyping him for the Heisman after week one and stuff like that. I, I just don't see him as like a full-time wide receiver when he gets to the NFL. I mean, everybody is comparing him to what Deion Sanders was doing at Florida State. I think we can look a little bit uh, more recent at Champ Bailey whenever he was at Georgia as someone whose future is potential Hall of Fame quarterback. That might be a little bit too early to say that. He has all of the physical talent and the football knowledge to be able to be an elite cornerback at the next level. But he is so athletically gifted that you just want the ball in his hands more often than not to see what he's going to do. Just see him make plays. But I think part of the reason why he's not going to be essential for Colorado, at least on the offensive side anymore, is Colorado has really good depth at their wide receiver position. Uh, Amarian Miller, he's coming in as a really highly talented recruit. Uh, Jimmy Horn Jr.'s looked really good. And Xavier Weaver at times has just dominated games. So they don't need him to go out there and, you know, be a focal point of the offense. I expect him to see a lot fewer snaps just because the competition level in the wide receiver room versus the cornerback room. But wherever he's on the field, they're going to find ways to get the ball in his hands, let him have a couple of explosive plays, uh, similar to, you know, just a, a freshman coming in and you have specialty formations just to get on the ball wherever they're a crazy athlete and just let him grow. But he's really fun. Like what you said, I don't know if he's a legitimate Debbie fantasy football asset, but he is a ton of fun to watch. Yeah. And you mentioned there, you know, Marion Miller, who's looked pretty good in his limited time this year. Um, Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn both looked really good. I don't know if, you know, both of those guys could go pro this year if they wanted to. I'm not sure that both of them do. I think maybe Weaver might. You know, he's he's looked pretty good this year. Um, you know, and he's he looked good when he was at South Florida last year, too. Both him and Jimmy Horn were both at South Florida. Um, I did not realize that. All right. But, yeah, I mean, there's, there's going to be opportunity for him. I mean, Coach Prime has already shown that he's, he's not scared of playing him both ways full time in college. I just don't think that it's sustainable in the NFL and 
from what I've seen, and it's very limited, obviously, uh, from what I've seen of him as a wide receiver, it's it it's not consistently great. You know, it's it's consistently pretty good. So, which is you know, if you're a college football team, you, you need that on your team if you're going to be good. So, he he does fulfill a need for the team, but I just don't know if it's a it's a NFL worthy uh, level receiver. All fantastic points. He he's going to be a great NFL player. I just definitely think it's going to be more on the defensive side of the ball. We'll see if he gets other specialty touches, just some ways to try to have explosive plays. But yeah, not necessarily a great Debbie asset, but will be a very good NFL draft pick going forward. Uh, moving on, is there anything else from the first half of the season news-wise that you really just you gotta talk about? It's just it's burning at you. You gotta have a shout out or something that's just being glossed over by most of national media. Well, I think we're gonna talk about one of the guys that I want to more so in the in the next couple segments. Um, I do, you know, just kind of want to talk about the state of USC just based on what we've seen the last couple weeks. Uh, you know, they had that double overtime game last week against Arizona. And I think that kind of put us into perspective, like, hey, maybe USC, despite having the best player in the country, maybe they're not that great. Maybe this defense is a bit of a liability and maybe they do lack some depth in the, in the receiver room. And maybe they do need to, you know, have a more balanced game. You know, they've got Marshawn Lloyd and he's great when he touches the ball, but he's not really getting the ball as much as he maybe should because Caleb Williams is so good that sometimes, you know, when they're late in these games where they should be winning by a lot, but they're not, they're kind of relying on him more so than maybe they should. Um, That's kind of my evaluation of it. I think, I think the team is definitely not going to go and win a championship this year. We've seen just too many, too many blunders that Colorado game that, they had and then just sort of watched it start to slip away. Thankfully they ran out of time. I think if that game went on for another quarter, Colorado might've, you know, shocked the world there, but um, yeah, I think there's definitely some question marks on that defense and, and the wide receiver room. I mean, when Taj Washington, who's in his fifth year transferred from Memphis like three years ago and is just now becoming your, your best wide receiver while you've got all these transfers and five stars on your team. It's a little bit concerning. So, um, and that's not saying anything about Zachariah branch. I think he's going to be great, but um, as it stands right now, there's, there's definitely some, something to be desired from that group of wide receivers. Yeah. And if you look at the rest of their schedule, uh, this, yeah, this Saturday, they have Notre Dame followed up by Utah, which, I really hope Cam Rising comes back at some point. Yeah, you got to feel for him uh, having a really late season ACL tear and just have he's not able to go yet, but still have to, to play Utah, uh, California. They are not a great team, but they are solid enough to scare someone, especially whenever you have to go double overtime with Arizona. And then you're following up that with Washington, USC, and then UCLA. And then you'd have to beat presumably one of those four teams to win the Pac-12 championship. It's a long shot, but there's potential for USC to finish the season with four losses. That's 
probably their worst case scenario. I don't think they lose to all five of the remaining great teams. I think they should beat Notre Dame this weekend. We'll see. Uh, Notre Dame's offense just hasn't been anything special recently, uh, even with Sam Hartman there. Uh, but, you know, it, it is what it is. But they, they could be really struggling at the end of the season. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and Sam Hartman hasn't looked great the last couple of weeks, but, you know, this USC defense is not very good. They just no. let Noah Fafita back up quarterback who, you know, a lot, you know, he, he, he looked good as a freshman in camp. So it's not saying that he's going to be some terrible player. Maybe he ends up being something good, but um, I think Sam Hartman, who's been in college for the better part of a decade could really take advantage of a defense like that. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it's in, it's in Notre Dame. So oh, the game is, is in Indiana. So I feel like yeah. it could be one of those situations where, USC is kind of reeling from back-to-back weeks where they kind of struggled and maybe this is, they finally get taken care of. Oh, I'm so excited to see Audric estimate against that USC defense. I'm really, really pumped. Uh, every time I watch him, I get a little bit more excited. And I just think back to all the times that you all have been hyping him up and it's like, Oh, look at that. We actually say smart things on this program from time to time. Uh, always wonderful to see. Uh, my biggest storyline from the first half, and it's really a continuation from what we've seen since the transfer portal became a thing, but transfers are making massive impacts. We're about to go into some award season talk, even at the halfway point, but a ton of these players are former transfers, and it's it's completely changing college football as we know it. I think for the better for the players specifically giving people who maybe didn't have the same earning potential before transfer, giving them that power back. So that's, that's really good to see from a player standpoint, a little confusing from time to time too, with trying to keep track of it all, but transfers are dominating the most important positions in football. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like like you said, we're going to be talking about the Heisman favorites here in a, in a couple seconds, and you're absolutely right. Like, it, it, that list is just peppered with guys that were former transfers. Yeah. All right, do you need 30 seconds or three seconds? Give me 30. Well, All I right. can do three. We're going to take a very quick three-second break, and whenever we come back, we are getting into midseason award projections. And we're back. Really is just that fast. So we are at the midway point in the college football season. Uh, Most teams have played either five or six games. And we're really starting to see what players really are, what players aren't. And the first award that we are going to be handing out is the Full Tilt Debbie podcast midseason Heisman Trophy. But first, we're going to start looking at the odds that are currently out there. This is courtesy of FanDuel Sports. Uh, Andy, thank you for pulling all of this together. There is a surprising name at the first spot, but really shouldn't be too surprising about who the top three are. And they're all Pac-12 quarterbacks. Yes. And two of those, I believe, in the top four are going to be facing each other this weekend. Um, but yeah, number one, which you're right. I thought this was a surprise as well, was 
Michael Penix, and I can just uh, go through some of these guys that I have listed. I didn't list all of them, mm-hmm. but um, and I won't go through like what the odds are, but maybe for a couple of them. But the favorite right now is Michael Penix from Washington. Then you got Caleb Williams uh, at number two, and they're kind of neck and neck, uh, plus 220 and plus 250, so pretty darn close. And then there's a bit of a drop-off when you get to Bo Nix there at number three. And then another drop off when you get to Dylan Gabriel, the Oklahoma quarterback at number four. And then again, it drops off again to some more quarterbacks, JJ McCarthy, Jordan Travis. And then we have to go all the way to uh, plus 2,500 for our first non QB. And it's a tight end in Brock Bowers. And then a few other notable non QBs. We got Blake Corum, the highest running back at plus 5,500. And then a couple of our favorite wide receivers, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors at plus 8,000 and plus 20,000 respectively. So yeah, um, I'll just give you my quick, quick thoughts on it. Um, as far as uh, I find it interesting, I would say that Penix is number one. Um, if we're going to give the award right now, it would no doubt be going to him. Uh, yeah. But this is a full season award and the Huskies have yet to play a defense. That's really worth a damn. They're going, like I mentioned earlier, they're going to get Oregon this week in a game that we're going to talk about later in our game of the week segment. Um, but I feel like this is the first real passing defense they will have faced. Uh, they abs- Oregon absolutely shut down Shadur Sanders in week four. Uh, I'm not sure that they can replicate that against Penix and Washington, but it's certainly going to be more difficult for them. So if I were placing a bet that I expected to win, the obvious answer for me would be Caleb Williams. Um, getting in while he's not the favorite. And we don't need to go over his numbers in the season. I think everyone knows he's been just as good or better than he was last year when he won the Heisman. Um, But he would be who I'd pick right now to win. So that's who your pick is to win for the season-long look at this. Are you saying, though, if you had to give the Heisman trophy out today, you're choosing Michael Penix? Yeah, I mean, just the raw numbers are there. Like, it's a it's a college football award, right? We're not looking at the best mm-hmm. future NFL player. So, and his team's undefeated. There's there's nothing you can really say bad about what he's done so far. Yeah, I wasn't trying to criticize the pick or anything. It just want further state this that yes, Caleb Williams has been awesome. He's making plays that has everybody drooling that he's the next uh, Patrick Mahomes get all that he's going to be a great nfl player most likely but yeah penix has been fantastic so far and he already has 16 touchdown passes on the season through five games in one of those games he did not throw a single touchdown pass in he has not finished below 85 according to espn's qbr so far during the season he has looked fantastic and washington is giving him absolutely every chance to try to win this award they are putting the game completely in his hands even when they're blowing people out and giving him chances to make plays consistently down the field and they do have the receiving core to back it up he legitimately with the run at the end of the season because washington and usc will eventually have to play each other i think that they're in a really good position between bo nicks Michael Penix and Caleb Williams to have the Heisman Trophy winner come out of Pac-12 for the second year in a row. Assuming they all like they don't beat each other up too 
much. If all of them have two losses coming out of this, that's going to be a little bit tougher for their resumes, but there's really no one else outside of the Pac-12 who can, I think, really challenge them uh, in a way that would make up for two losses. Uh, maybe Jordan Travis, but Jordan Travis, I don't think, has looked at commanding enough to be able to say, my numbers aren't great, but I don't know. Say Florida State's undefeated going into it. He deserves the Heisman. He'll be in New York. He's not going to win the Heisman. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, maybe, but Oklahoma doesn't have another chance to make a statement win the rest of the season. And people are going to start to forget how good of a game it was for Texas versus Oklahoma. <sighs> maybe J.J. McCarthy, but Michigan hasn't done anything because they haven't played anyone which then gets down to Blake Corum. But I don't, I don't want to go through everybody on the list. I've been talking a, a lot. But I, I think that it has to come from a Pac-12. There's not really a scenario out there where one of these three quarterbacks doesn't win it unless something absolutely catastrophic happens for each of them. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, but, you know, just playing the, you know, what if value game, I think if I'm going outside those top two guys, um, I would look at Dylan Gabriel uh, from Oklahoma. And he's at plus 1,200, so you know, bet a dollar, you make 12. Uh, he's on a blue blood program that's undefeated. And you mentioned you know they're not going to have another opportunity to have a signature win, but they just had a signature win uh, against what some believe was the number one team in the country. Uh, he's accounted for 21 touchdowns through six weeks. He's only thrown two interceptions, you know, pretty similar numbers to to Michael Penix, honestly. And mm-hmm. he's doing it with some relative unknowns catching the ball. Their leading receiver, Andrew Anthony, was a cast-off for Michigan last year. Bob Stoops' kid, Drake, who looks like he's 150 pounds, leads the team in receptions. They, uh, and they just lost their reading, or sorry, leading receiver. Uh, a- Andrew Anthony? Yeah, I believe he, he's done for the season. I'm okay, going to recheck so, that. I know that one of their top receivers is out. Uh, it might, it was, which one it is. I mean, they have him and uh, Jaleel Farouk uh, kind of leading the way for them. Uh, yeah, yeah Andrew say, Anthony, he's out for the rest season of the season. Ending. So that is, that's going to leave Drake Stoops and Jaleel Farouk. So, again, not that it really mattered because Andrew Anthony wasn't like some guy that everyone was saying, like, oh, this is going to be what puts Oklahoma over the top. Um, you know, it's, it seems like a lot of it's Dylan Gabriel and some, a lot of people probably remember he came from UCF. Uh, he did, he did really well there, had some injuries. Um, he's always had a few injuries really. So let's see if he can, uh, stand the test of this entire season. But, you know, we've said it before, like to win a Heisman, you really just have to be the quarterback on a team that's going to the college football playoff. And you mentioned they're not going to have another chance for a signature win until the Big 12 championship, where it's probably going to be Texas again, honestly. But mm-hmm. if he if he goes and wins that game and he keeps this up and he doesn't get hurt, I think that outside of the top two, I, I, I'd give Gabriel the best realistic chance to win win the Heisman. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. So if if Washington, Oregon, USC all finish with two losses. And Utah somehow sneaks their way into being the Pac-12 champions again because they're just hashtag good at football. 
then I think, yes, Dylan Gabriel definitely has a really good chance to win the Heisman Trophy, especially after last season, whenever CJ Stroud kind of, he, he had the really bad Michigan loss and Caleb Williams was able to usurp him there. And then also, uh, Eden Hooker had the torn ACL two games before the end of the season. Like things just broke Caleb Williams way to make it to where he could run away with it at the very end. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't see Oklahoma choking down the stretch to potentially set that up for one of these PAC 12 quarterbacks. If, if they start losing to be able to just pull away at the end, but, yeah I'm, I'm still looking at this list and i would love to see brock bowers higher on this because he is the most important player for the best team in college football right now which i know it's not the nfl so that's not how you win the mvp but that's that's why he's doing right now he's the only reason why this georgia offense uh is clicking whenever for so long they're so bad and it's so painful to watch uh, I think Marvin Harrison's a little high on this list, though. Honestly, I'm I understand why he's above Malik Neighbors, and not saying Marvin Harrison's not a really good wide receiver, but Malik Neighbors, so far, I believe is having the best season out of any wide receiver in college football right now. I know that we can talk about Luther Burden a little bit, but Malik Neighbors, LSU just beat Missouri. I think right now, to me, he's the best wide receiver of college football. I saw your facial reactions, man. I bring mean, it. Let's go. I'm not. I'm not going to bring it too hard because here's what I had. Because uh, you know, we can jump. Well, first of all, I'll just touch on what you said about Brock Bowers. I think you know him being the first non QB is interesting, just because there, I don't think there's ever been a tight end Heisman finalist in like modern history. Um, but, but I really think he'd have to like break some major records, which he has broken records, but I just think he would have to have an insane rest of the season to, to be in a Heisman finalist even. And I think re- really betting any non QB is kind of flushing money down the toilet. We saw what Devonte Smith had to do to win it as a wide receiver. I think that's probably the level of play we'd need to see for that to happen. And I just don't think there's anything near that this year, but the, you know, the other thing we had on the show sheet here is like who our picks would be for the Bolitnikov and the Doak Walker Award. So we'll just jump to the Bolitnikov since we kind of let into it. And since John isn't here and this is a safe space, um, <laughs> I think I think it is Luther Burden. He leads the nation in receiving yards. He's got five touchdowns. Mizzou lost to LSU, but they're actually winning football games in general. Um this is the so- first real competition outside of Kansas State is not as good as we thought they were. I don't think they were worth 15 whenever Missouri beat them. Missouri has struggled against so many teams. Yes, Luther Burden looks really good. I'm not saying he doesn't. This is more of pump the brakes on Missouri because they very well could end up finishing the season with five or six losses. That can definitely happen with the way the rest of their schedule looks. Uh, I'm really curious to see how he's going to look against better competition. I thought this game would be much better better whenever LSU was supposed to have a good defense, but now they have one of the worst defenses in college football for, I have no idea why I can't explain it with all that talent. And I think they have relatively good coaching. So I don't makes no sense to me. I don't get it, but I, I think that he will be on the short list as the season continues to go on. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that he's, one of the top wide receivers in the nation right now. But to your point, if John was here, he would be jumping out of his seat right now, yelling Malik neighbors. 
And thankfully, you're here to do that for him. Uh, but I think that's probably another safe bet. I, mean, I don't have the odds for this award uh, or anything, but I imagine if you did have them, those two would kind of be neck and neck right now. And then no disrespect, obviously, to the actual best wide receiver in the country, Marvin Harrison, but the Ohio State offense just really isn't putting up the numbers for him to win any sort of offensive award. So before I pull up the Blitnikoff and then Doak Walker uh, odds, uh, the last time a tight end finished in the top three in the Heisman voting was in 1977. Ken McAfee, tight end for Notre Dame. So it has been a really, really long time. I think that Brock Bowers definitely has a chance to do it. He is putting up gaudy numbers in the whole college football world understands just how important he is to their success, especially since all of their running backs keep disappearing due to injury. Uh, I was surprised though, that I think it's just a, an issue that all of them are so good, but Washington doesn't really have a receiver up there that I think has a legitimate shot right now. Like Roma Dunze, he's really freaking good, but there's so many other good wide receivers on that roster. Yeah, that's just a case of like them cannibalizing themselves. Like they're all so, so good. And maybe it is a, uh, you know, a product of just that offense. But the fact that there isn't like an alpha or like the number one out of that group kind of hurts their chances of, of any any sort of award. Mm-hmm. Uh, darn, this thing lied to me. I hate whenever the internet lies to you with what the links are supposed to be, but that's okay. Uh, sorry, it's taking me just a second. So right now, the odds, according to FanDuel, for your Bolitnikoff Award winner, uh, I'm trying to see if this is current. This might, yeah, this is at the start of the season. So I apologize oh, okay. with it being a little dated. Marvin Harrison Jr. plus 200, Roma Dunze plus 1200, Xavier Worthy per, plus 1200. He has definitely fallen back, even though he's still a really good wide receiver. He's He's just falling back because Texas has uh, Jonathan Brooks, who I'm sure we're going to talk about really soon. Uh, Amika Buka, he's falling back. Brock Bowers is in this list, and I think he definitely has a shot. Didn't even think about him initially for this. Uh, he definitely has a shot. And then Jalen McMillan, I don't think he's really a contender right now. Then Malik Neighbors at plus 1,500. Keon Coleman. Keon Coleman at plus 2,000 to start the season. I think that he definitely has a shot. If there's anyone from Florida State who's going to win an award this season, Keon Coleman has the best shot of anyone on that team, especially if they do end up finishing 12-0. I know that team success is nowhere near as important for the position-specific awards, but yeah, he has looked really, really good. Yeah, like I think Keon Coleman and Malik Neighbors, if you placed those bets in the preseason, you'd be feeling pretty darn good about yourself right now. I'm pretty sure Luther Burden was on those lists too, so um he might have oh, he, he would have been he's a good not bet on too. The, just the one link that I happened to pull up. Uh another person that we didn't mention though, uh Evan Stewart also had plus two thousand. He's not going to win it, but man, he looks he looks really good. I'm a little nervous about it this weekend. We will see what he does to this Tennessee defense. And then Troy Flink 
Troy Franklin at plus 2,500. Another person who probably doesn't really have a chance to win it, but man, he's making a really good argument to be a day two pick right now. I don't think he'll sneak into the first round, but he should be a solid second round pick and somebody I'm definitely targeting. Uh, whenever it comes to our mock draft, which we should be doing really soon. Uh, we were going to do it today, but unfortunately with John out, didn't want to take all the fun away from him. Uh, and then also didn't want to just spend an hour of us sniping each other and getting really petty as we're going down. I'm like, fine, you took my player, I'll take your player. Uh, although I don't know if you would draft at me, uh, Tennessee players, but that's okay. Uh, we teased it for just a second, but... The Doak Walker Award. I think I know who your favorite for this award is, but I'll let you take that away. Yeah, I got to stay on brand and go with Jonathan Brooks. Leads the nation for power five players in rushing, busting the big runs, scoring touchdowns, and the team is winning. So I think it's his award to lose at this point. Again, FanDuel doesn't have the live, I guess you could call it live betting odds, midseason odds for the Doak Walker that I could find. I'm sure some sports book has them somewhere. Um, the only other guy that I consider as being in the same level as him right now is another show favorite. And that's Michigan's Blake Corum who already has 10 rushing touchdowns on the year. And Michigan's obviously looking really good as well. So I think between those two guys, it's kind of a two man race. I know other guys like Taj Brooks and Ray Davis from Texas tech and, Kentucky respectively have had really great seasons. Um, Braylon Allen starting to look really good too. Uh, so, you know, without Ches Malusi, maybe he turns it on the second half of the year and kind of gets himself back in the conversation. But right now, I mean, Jonathan Brooks is Texas's entire, I wouldn't say entire offense, but he's certainly the bulk of their offense and it kind of runs through him. So I would, I would take him pretty easily right now. So I did find some updated odds. This is current as of October 5th. So before the games last weekend, uh, real quick, just to finish off the Blitnikoff discussion, Roma Dunze right now is the favorite. I'm a little surprised by that, but at plus 350, Marvin Harrison Jr. plus 650, Luther Burden plus 800, Malik Neighbors plus 800, and Troy, Flink, Troy Franklin plus 1,000. Man, the Fs are really messing with me today. I apologize to everyone out there uh moving on though to the doke walker uh jonathan brooks right now he is fourth before last week's games at plus 1000 uh who would you guess right now is the number one for uh DraftKings odds i would guess blake blake quorum blake quorum is second at plus 700 number one audric estimate at plus 450 which has me surprised. And Blake Corum, I know we did this back uh, before the season started, whenever we were looking at prop bets for a season. He already has 10 rushing touchdowns. They they don't need him right now in the games. He's averaging, I think, uh, 16 touches a game, approximately 80 yards, and they're through six games. And he already has 10 touchdowns. So he, he's doing just fine. He's getting his numbers, but I don't think it's good enough. Uh, until they get into a much better competition for him to be the award winner. Uh, Will Shipley is third at plus 900, and then Travion Henderson um, is fifth at plus 1,000. That one has me a little surprised, but I understand it, too, uh, being there. So yeah, any surprises from that list? I mean, 
Yeah, <laughs> I would say the the entire the entirety of the wide receiver list. I mean, that was before last week when Luther Burden and Malik Neighbors both had pretty big games. So, I mean, I would have to imagine. I mean, if you can get plus seven hundred on either of those guys for that award, I would be jumping all over that right now. Um, and then as for the Doak Walker, who who was number one again? Was it Audric Estimate at plus okay. one fifty? I mean, through four weeks, five weeks, definitely through four weeks, he was number one for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's just kind of a, a hangover from those. But like he's kind of, I wouldn't say fallen off. He still looks good. But uh, what Jonathan Brooks has done the last two or three weeks, really three or four weeks, has been outstanding. So Audrey Gassamay also has the distinct advantage of having an extra game so far on the schedule. So he is leading the nation in rushing, at least before last week. So I apologize. The stats are one week old. Uh, So I know that it's been updated, but 672 rushing yards uh, throughout their first five games, now six games. I think Will Shipley, though, being third, that is the easiest sell for me. He's not getting rushing touchdowns, really. Uh, He's still the main driver of that Clemson offense, but he is not being put in a position that really showcases him as being an elite talent, even if he is extremely important to that team. It's just, it hasn't looked good so far. Maybe it'll look better in the second year under Garrett Riley, but this year is definitely getting through some growing pains, uh, developing their young wide receivers and hoping that next year brings uh, much better results. Uh, I am surprised Travion Harrison is sitting there at fifth, but there's not really anyone else. I think that's really springing to mind, especially from the sec. You mentioned Ray Davis who did not really look great against Georgia, which is definitely going to hurt him, but he looked fantastic against Florida. So good for him there. But I think he's kind of completely out of the conversation at this point. Uh, yeah, I can't really think of any other I would, running backs. The only, are, the only other guy yeah. I would throw in to the conversation who we haven't mentioned is Marshawn Lloyd from USC. Um, Ooh, the I only like problem that. with the only problem with him is they're not giving him the ball that much. But when he does get the ball, he's explosive, and you know his yards per touch, his PPR points per touch, his break, you know his big time run rate. Probably his big time run rate. I think he leads the. Uh, country in big time runs and he's got like two thirds of the carries of like the leaders. So uh, Marshawn Lloyd is like an effective runner, but he's just not getting the volume to like, you know, put up the raw stats. Yeah. That, that's someone I'm definitely forgetting about too. Uh, going from USC junior to USC, he's definitely helped himself out, helped himself out a lot in terms of upping his uh, NFL draft status. But I think he's going to take a lot more. Uh, Bucky Irving potentially could be on there, but they already have Bo Nix. There's a lot of really good things going on for Oregon, and I think Bucky Irving is kind of getting lost in the shuffle a little bit in terms of the elite playmakers that are out there in Eugene. All right, if you had to give your Blitnikoff Award today to one of these players, who is it? I'm I'm giving it to Luther Burden. I think right. I it's 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 I, it's literally a toss up. I think you could flip a coin right now for me between him and Malik Neighbors. They're so close in like their stats. I know 
the one thing Malik neighbors, I guess you could say is like his team won, but you know, that's like you mentioned earlier, this isn't like a team award. It's just sort of a, a position award. So I feel like burden has taken such a huge step forward. He's really owning that slot position. Um, I think he's the best in the country at, at that position for sure. And I know Malik neighbors isn't a slot guy, but um, you know, just looking, just looking at his, you know, his, his stats. He's he's the best in the country right now. So, and that's what the board is for. So I would give it to him. All right? Do you think he was going to win at the end of the season? Do you think Marvin Harrison ends up just claiming it by the end? That's the other thing. Like I do think it kind of it might just be like a Marvin Harrison. Like, hey, this is a ceremonious award for you. We realize you probably should have won it. Not probably should have won it, but you did enough to win it last year and you're not really doing enough to not say you need to win it this year. And, you know, no disrespect to Jalen Hyatt cause he had such a big year last year, but that's right. Marvin that. Harrison, Marvin Harrison just feels like he needs to be a Bolitnikoff winner at some point in his career. And I think they may just say, here you go. I mean, we brought it up before the season started. Uh, I was thinking more Roma Dunze and he is the current leader according to the odds, but that's who I thought could potentially come in and spoil a Blitnikoff-worthy season from Marvin Harrison again, uh, and he could go down as one of the best wide receivers to never win a Blitnikoff. Uh, it, it might come true, honestly. Uh, and it kind of also shows, though, just how stacked the wide receiver position is, not only for college football this year, but for this draft class coming up. Uh, during the show last night they were talking about selling drake london for a projected top four pick in the upcoming rookie draft and that is an absolute yes i would think if you can get a top six pick i'm still absolutely selling drake london for that just restarting recouping that value and moving on i don't know how far down the list i would go but you're looking at marvin harrison jr looks awesome he's going to be a top three pick uh, depending on when somebody wants to draft Drake May after Caleb Williams. Malik Neighbors, I think, is going to be really, really good. Roma Dunze is really good. I don't know exactly how he's going to fit at the NFL level, but he's fantastic. I think there's a lot of other players. Like, if Dorian Singer comes out, somebody I'm definitely going to be paying attention to, but he won't have to be going early. You can get someone like that later on, but there's a lot of really, really good wide receivers. And that's not even including Amika Abuka. Uh, there's a, there are a lot of really good ones, and I'm really, really excited. Keon Coleman, we can keep on going. I'm just forgetting names at this point because there's so many good ones. I appreciate you giving us some love with Doreen Singer, but I, I don't hold the same optimism as you, unfortunately. I think uh, that ship may have sailed, and we are going to take a big fat L on that one, but that's all right. Um, I don't think he looks bad. Like I'm going to make that very clear. Like he doesn't look bad. He's just not producing stats that people are drooling over like he was at Arizona. And those weren't even like earth shattering, but they were really good. And he was clearly the best player on the field consistently at Arizona. But yeah, there's a lot more competition for targets right now at USC. And, and he had this revenge. I wouldn't call it a revenge spot, but you're playing your former team a double overtime shootout and you don't even get a catch. Come on. Mm. It was a little, that was a little disheartening. I feel like that was the nail in the coffin for me. I was like, all right, he's done. But um, 
I agree. I think I, well, I agree with it just because I think Drake London and you know isn't what everyone thought he might be. Um, and I don't know why that is. Maybe it's Arthur Smith. I that offense is just so weird. It just seems like they've got all these high draft picks invested in their offensive skill positions that they don't use besides Bijan, thankfully. Um, so I would, I would also say, yeah, if you can get a top six, honestly, if you get any first round pick for Drake London right now, you might want to do it, but uh, I'm not sure what his, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure you could get just about any, like a, just a random first for him, but um, mm-hmm. this is not a dynasty show. So I, I, no. I encourage you not to listen to my advice. But well, I mean, uh, this is Debbie. We are the bridge between NFL and college fantasy football. That's that's why we play this because yeah, we love dynasty football, we love college football, we want to mix them together. But I'm gonna run down a list really quick here. Obviously, we're taking Marvin Harrison Jr. over Drake London. I think that's pretty pretty simple. Yes, Mika Buka or Drake London. Egg Buka. Xavier Worthy or Drake London. I don't really mm. like Worthy. Okay. I feel Malik like I Neighbors. Just, I'd take Neighbors. Uh, Evan Stewart. Evan Stewart. Troy Franklin. I'd take Franklin. Roma Dunze. I'd probably go with a Dunze. Keon Coleman. I'd probably go Keon Coleman. Yeah. So if you can, if you have these younger assets that you aren't sold on, especially that are wide receivers, and you find managers who are right now willing to offer first round picks for them, and you are trying to tank, take those first round picks because this wide receiver class coming out is going to be stacked. I know we were all really disappointed last year because the running back class just was fantastic in terms of the death plus you had Bijan, uh jameer gibbs and now we can say devin a chain at the top end there but it's the exact opposite with this class you have really solid quarterbacks you're going to have amazing wide receivers and then the running backs i feel like we're going to find some sneaky good depth and people who are drafting all we wide receivers are going to look back and go how on earth did i let this guy fall to the third round and not pick him but you know that that's that's later on that's future people's problems we're going to try to stay in debbie right now and talk about uh, all the college football wide receivers but man it's it's going to be a really really special class yeah and i'll just jump in on the running back thing you're right that everyone's down on this class and i think they're way further down than they need to be because Everyone wanted Travion Henderson and Rocket Sanders to be the the smash home run picks, mm-hmm. and that's not happening. And it's kind of just like leaving us with this kind of uh, – I don't know how to describe the feeling, but it's like, oh, okay, well, the running backs aren't what they we thought they were. But, you know, I mentioned Marshawn Lloyd. I, you, you meant, we mentioned Bucky Irving, Jonathan Brooks, Blake Corum, who everyone just seems to have forgot even exists. Like, this is a guy that – if had he came, had he not gotten injured last year and came out, he probably would have been in like that Devin Achain, Kendra Miller role. Uh, you know, Zach Charbonnet. I, he would have gone before Charbonnet, I think, for a lot I, of people. He would have been between RB four and RB five in the class. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, really good running back class, right? And he, he hasn't done anything except shown that he hasn't missed a step from this injury. So hmm. I, I think. Blake Corm is getting severely undervalued still. Um, Devin Neal from Kansas has looked really good. Oh, yeah. Oh. I mentioned Audric Estime. I mean, 
Ray, you know, I, I talked about Ray Davis. I know you said that he had the bad game against Georgia, but he's, you know, these are guys that you could get in like the fourth round of, of your rookie yeah. drafts who have a chance to uh, do something. So yeah, there's got, they're going to be cheap. And I, did I mention like Braylon Allen? He's looked really good too. Um, Another completely forgotten guy. Cause he's up there in Wisconsin and yeah. they're not doing anything too flashy, but yeah, he, he has been good. Like it's, I think we're all down on it because there's not that surefire home run pick that everybody wants and wants to trade multiple first round picks to move up to get. Yeah. Um, we're not going to see another Bijan Robinson, I think, for a while, as good as Nick Singleton looks for next yeah. year. Uh, and now Quinchon Judkins is looking much better after a really, really rough start. Uh, Does he yeah, look I- better? <laughs> He, he, I mean, he it doesn't take much to look He better. started. I'm not saying he's back to where yeah. how he looked during his freshman season, but it's tough to look worse than the first four games of the season. Yeah, like, he doesn't. You're right. Cow. You're right. He looks better than that. <laughs> but ugh. I, I don't know about Quinchon Judkins. I think I don't know what happened last year, but I mean, it's kind of similar to the Travion Henderson situation, where it's just this super freshman season followed by like an injury hampered sophomore year. And we just kind of have to wait and see how that it recovers. Yeah. Plus we didn't even include Jalen Wright in all of this. That's the surefire slam dunk. Dylan Samson. Dylan Sam. He's, he's still a year away. I know, but since we're talking about Judkins and those guys. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be a solid. Yeah. Probably unspectacular running back class, at least from what all of the drafting analysts will say leading up to it. We might not even see a running back in the top six, maybe top eight picks whenever it comes to your future rookie drafts, but I think it'll still be good. Uh, and then I don't think I got your final. Who's your dope Walker? I know who it is, but just to put it out there once again for the entire world, Mr. Jonathan Brooks. If I knew his middle name, yep. I'd say it right now, but I don't have that. <laughs> All right. So to recap, if you had to give it out today, Michael Phoenix Jr. would be your Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, Luther Burton would your, be your Blitnikoff winner. And Jonathan Brooks would be your Doak Campbell Award. Or sorry, Doak Walker Award winner. If it was today. but If it not. was today. I know we're still expecting Caleb Williams to probably pull it out when the Heisman. There's a very good chance Marvin Harrison Jr. wins the Litnikoff. I will say out of all of those, I think Jonathan Brooks has the best bet out of any of them to end up carrying home some hardware at the end of the season. Uh, But that was an awesome segment on the award winners from just what we've seen halfway through the college football season. We're going to take another very quick three second break. And then we are going to wrap up the show with a quick preview of the games to come this week. Stay tuned. Very quick three seconds. Uh, So, Oh, we got, we have some really good games and a lot of them are going to be past my bedtime. So I'm just going to have to suck it up and stay up late, but absolutely the game of the week college game day actually got it right with where they're going this week. And it will be painful to watch once it's actually on, but Oregon at Washington. Oh, this is going to be fun. Andy, what are you looking forward to with this matchup? Well, I feel like we've already kind of touched on like what I expect to see. You know, we talked about Penix not not facing a defense like Oregon until now. Um, I think, you know, we saw what they did to Colorado. 
uh, and Shadur Sanders. And I think that I'm not saying it's going to happen against Washington, but it certainly could happen. Uh, I think the wide receivers at Washington are a lot better than what Colorado has. So it's going to be a little bit more difficult on that secondary. Because at the same time, line's much better too. Yeah. The same time, you know, Oregon really hasn't faced an offense like, like Washington, which I don't think anyone, every time they, somebody plays Washington, nobody's faced an They haven't faced an offense like Washington. So it's going to be a tricky game for sure. But I just feel like, you know, combined with that defense, you've got Bo Nix, who in his own right is a top, you know, apparently top three Heisman front runner. So you got Troy Franklin, who arguably is the best wide receiver on the field. You got Bucky Irving, who's definitely the best running back on the field. Oregon has a more balanced attack. It is in Washington, so that's a little tricky for the Ducks. But you're getting three points if you bet on them. So that's kind of where I'm standing. I've, I've taken the three points. I would even recommend sprinkling the money line because I do think that there is a good chance that Oregon does end up winning this game. Plus, I love Dan Lanning. Like, that is just a really fun coach. I know he's got a lot of clicks, even though he said he wasn't here for clicks for the Colorado game. That is just that's a guy that you listen to, you, you get hyped up. They are just such a fun team to watch. They have it feels like they have what's been missing from the elite Oregon teams of the past that were contending for the, the national championship. This is definitely a national championship caliber team going up against arguably the most explosive offense in college football right now. Washington, Michael Penix, the best wide receiver core, I think, in college football. Uh I know Ohio State still probably has the most NFL talent on their team, but holy cow, Washington looks good. It is going to be an absolutely awesome game, and now watch it turn into some ridiculous defensive slugfest. It ends up being, I don't know, like 13 to 11, and something weird happened, and everybody's still on the edge of their seats just waiting for the offenses to finally click. I think it definitely has potential to be game of the year. The team that comes out of this, I think, will have the best win of the year. No offense to Texas going to Alabama to get that win, but if Oregon goes to Washington and gets this win, that we can look back on it, and that might be the season-defining win that they were needing. Uh, it is so much fun. I hate that it took this long for the Pac-12 to really enter the chat whenever it comes to being fun for the college football playoff era. But thank goodness we're getting it in their last season, and they are going out with a massive bang. Yeah, I just checked the over/under on this game too. It's at sixty-seven and a half. So points. Oh, I would will take be over. Plenty. I'm taking the over on sixty-seven and a half. I'm thinking it's going to be a forty-one thirty-five game minimum. Like that would make me happy. Uh, I, I want more though. I want this to just be slugfest after slugfest. Who can stop them just one time? Somebody's going to get creative in the last four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half, trying to steal an extra possession because they know they need that extra possession to win. It is going to be awesome, but it's not even the only good game of week seven. Uh, selfishly, Tennessee plays Texas A&M. That should be a good game. I think we'll really get to know a little bit more about Evan Stewart too, which will be exciting. Uh, I think we'll come out of it knowing if these Tennessee running backs are for real as well uh, because Texas A&M, I think, has – they're at least top five in the SEC in terms of rush defense, if not top two. So it will be 
it'll be really good. Uh, what is your other favorite game from week seven? I mean, it would have to be USC versus Notre Dame. I think that's going to be kind of the litmus test for is USC, you know, going to be able to really be a college football playoff contender. Uh, you know, if you get that signature win against, and you know, oh, Notre Dame has its flaws. They just, you know, had a tough game against Louisville and then obviously lost a heartbreaker to Ohio state. So I'm not sure that they're any sort of an elite team, but they're certainly not a bad team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need to go, if you're USC, you need to go in there and take care of business um, because it's not going to get any easier in the PAC 12 moving forward for them. They've got to play Washington and Oregon and then, assuming they can win those games, they're going to have to end up playing probably one of them again in the Pac-12 championship. So it's it's going to be a, a tough road for USC. And I think that if they, if they want to win and be in the conversation, they're going to have to take care of business this weekend. Mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent point. I mean, don't, we'll talk about this next week whenever USC is going up against Utah, but USC has an incredibly tough remaining schedule. If they want any chance to stay in it, I don't think that there's a scenario where they lose to Notre Dame and end up finding a way to make it into a college football playoff because I don't think then that would be their first loss. We're looking at multiple losses down the line because this is also probably the worst offense that they're going to face during the stretch too, except for Cal. Uh, And assuming that Utah gets Cam Rising back, they really need to make a statement, show that this defense can do just enough to let the offense score and win the game. It should be fun, though. Uh, that's going to be another late game, 7.30 p.m. Uh, that one will be a really good one. And then we'll see if Mario Cristobal can bounce things uh, or can turn the ship around a little bit. Has an excellent chance against North Carolina. Drake May finally looks good. I'm glad you had something positive to say about him on the Devi recap, which if you are not watching, you should definitely be watching. You t- cover absolutely everything. We don't even need this podcast because you cover everything we actually need during the five or six minute recap. But because you like the sound of our voices, you should watch both of them. But yeah, uh, and then also to round it out, UCLA, Oregon State. Once again, Pac-12 just having great games. That should be really fun. Uh, I really like what I see out of Dante Moore. Dante Moore going into next season might be a top three uh, Devi startup pick. At least in terms of your your college draft, he might be a top three pick. Uh yeah, it, it, it should be a lot of fun. He's definitely going through some freshman growing pains, but UCLA looks primed for uh, supporting him uh, up until he goes off to the NFL here in a couple of years. But yeah, any closing thoughts, Andy? Oh, Andy, you're muted. You muted yourself. Uh, <laughs> ah, F's in the foul. chat. No, <laughs> uh, but uh, I would I would just add to your your point about Dante Moore like he, we haven't really talked about him on this show at all yet um but yeah he absolutely has looked fantastic if you have to pick a QB1 out of this class i think you're going to go with Dante Moore at this point you know he he has that five star pedigree he is out on the field already looking pretty darn good not great but he's a freshman in what i think a lot of us consider like the best the Pac12 has looked in a decade so um, you know, 
he he's going to face some harder competition down the road, but so far, I mean, he's got 14 big time throws on over on only 131 attempts, and that is huge for a freshman. So, uh, yeah, I would be trying to get Dante more anywhere I can right now. Yeah, this is the cheapest you will be able to find him for a long time, assuming nothing terrible happens. Uh, he he'll definitely be not top five or top three he'll definitely be a first round pick going into next season whenever he comes out he'll be a first round uh dynasty rookie pick or once again in your debbie leagues he'll be a first round pick it he looks really really good i think his only loss so far on the season or ucla's only loss so far on the season is to utah in one like his second or third start so you know, you don't want to read too much into that. He definitely is making some freshman mistakes, but that's all stuff that you can iron out through playing time. He has the physical talent to be a really, really good quarterback, and it's really exciting. Uh, but hey, make sure you are staying tuned to the Debbie podcast here at Full Tilt Fantasy because we do have some very fun Debbie giveaways coming up sometime in the near future. Still got to work out how we're going to do that giveaway but if you are a Devi fantasy football fan if you are a college football fantasy fan see to see we have a giveaway you are going to be extremely interested in so make sure that you are hitting subscribe hitting the bell waiting for us to announce that giveaway but it will be coming before you know it uh and once again any last thoughts before we go into week seven cross crossing the threshold truly being in the second half of college football um, I, I don't really have any, I think we covered all of it. You know, I think we touched everything. So I don't really have anything else to add right now. Yeah. If you didn't watch the first six weeks of college football, you don't need to just listen to this hour long podcast. We have you completely covered on all of it and you will come out of it knowing exactly what to expect here in the second half. Uh, once again, I think the storylines coming out of it, transfers are a big part of college football now really curious to see what usc looks like because everybody had them as a college football playoff team coming into the season they are going to have to earn it moving forward and uh you heard it here first uh michael phoenix luther burden and jonathan brooks are going to win your major awards this year uh putting the stamp on it and if we're wrong well it's all andy's fault or actually john's not here it's all john's fault if we're wrong so don't have anything else to add at the end of this show. Thank you all so much for staying tuned. Once again, make sure you are hitting subscribe, hitting that bell. If you haven't gone to Underdog Fantasy yet, make sure you go Underdog. Use promo code FULLTILT, F-U-L-L-T-I-L-T. They will match you up to $100 on your first deposit. That is a ton of entries into Pick'em Contest. Bet $10, uh, do three over-unders, make $60 whenever you win everything, and feel really good about yourself. And I might have just done math wrong there, but that's okay. You don't need to know how to do math whenever it comes to any sort of fantasy sports. I think that's right. Maybe. We'll see. It doesn't really matter, but stay tuned, and we will see you next time. Have a great night, everyone. See you.